What's going on, everyone? Welcome into episode number two of the Daft Picks podcast. Alongside me today, I have Parker, Wally, and Adam. And today, we're going to be talking about a bunch of stuff, starting off with the NHL and, of course, the World Juniors. Uh, that's where we're going to start today. Got a lot of stuff planned for the show today, as well as the college football uh, playoffs. And we'll be talking about some other uh, fun moments in sports this week. So without further ado, we're going to kick it off with, like I said, World Juniors. Um, as everyone here should know by now, uh, the USA unfortunately lost in the gold medal game to, what was it, Finland? Yeah, it was Finland 2-1, to one, right? Yeah, 2-1. to one. And uh, oddly enough, um, USA uh, looking even stronger next year. So uh, anyone with some thoughts on the game? Uh, overall, it, it was a great overall tournament between the four teams. Uh, really surprised that Canada didn't make it in, but that, that just helped the USA make it. But they just couldn't finish when it was... Their time finish. couldn't finish against the finish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I thought all tournament long, um, the USC's best player was Ryan Paling. Uh, I believe he's a Montreal Canadiens draft pick. He looks like he's going to be real good for the future uh, of both them and the USA hockey. Um, not to mention, we've had a lot of good support from goaltending and Caden Primo. Uh, unfortunately, like I said, we did not get the gold medal, but hey, silver's still something. Um, and on top of that, Let's not forget the most important part, Canada finished sixth. So we can all take a little bit of salt <laughs> from that. Oh, boy. Uh, Put the salt in the wound, Chris. De- definitely on that note, the, mo- the most incredible part about this whole journey for USA is that they're just getting better year after year. Um, we have a goaltending stud coming up through the ranks in the name of Spencer Knight. He's supposed to be the future of USA goaltending and hopefully the future of whatever team he lands with. I believe he's a draft pick this year. He's projected the first round. Uh, and he'll be obviously one of the more important goalies coming in the future. Uh, any, anybody else want to add to that sort of thing? I know you're not all big junior fans. Um, uh, the, is there something you want to add? The, the one thing I wanted to get to before we get too far off of this is going to be uh, the bracketing. So one thing that was uh, kind of cool this year was Denmark and Kazakhstan were both in it again. Uh, Kazakhstan actually avoided relegation. And they'll be playing in the uh, A bracket next year with Finland, Switzerland, Sweden, and Slovakia. As well as in the B bracket, the death bracket, if you will, uh, USA and Russia, Canada, Czech Republic, and for the first time in a couple of years, I believe, uh, Germany re-enters in place of Denmark. So that should be a pretty nice uh, World Juniors next year. Hopefully more eventful. The World Juniors next year, I think, is going to be really, really tough in that Group B back bracket just because of how much talent there is between USA, Russia, Canada, and the Czech Republic. I like Germany, great for them getting back into a, a big bracket like this for the World Juniors, but I feel bad for them at the same time because they have to go up against that competition in the Group B. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Germany's entering in a very difficult place. That's not going to be an easy bracket for any of the teams involved. Anytime you have a potential of USA, Canada, and Russia getting eliminated early on, it's never good. But uh, I, I really do think that's going to make for some real good competition. Canada's got some good kids coming up. Um, and, I mean, obviously this year Canada had a bit of a controversy going on with Maxime Comtois, the captain of Canada. Unfortunately, in the final game, uh, he didn't score in a penalty shot that he was awarded by his teammate. And a lot of things happened online. There's a decent amount of cyberbullying, and his agent actually had to come out and uh, defuse the situation. So Canada has to rebound next year as well. You, you expect them to finish in gold or silver every year. And uh, it, it's, it's going to be a real good year for World Juniors, I definitely think. Um, going off of that, we're going to head right on into the next big topic of discussion, which is uh, how about Elias Pettersson? Speaking of the, the good Swedes in this tournament, Elias Pettersson's impressive rookie season 
40 some points in 38 games. That's a pretty good amount. Anybody uh, thoughts on that? Uh, considering where he's come from, like yeah, he was a he was number five pick in the 2017 draft. So it's not really that hard to believe that he's putting up these numbers. It's just unfortunate that so far he's seemed a little bit injury prone with the injuries that he's had this year. He still has a moderate amount of games, but if he can maintain his health and continue with these numbers, it, it's going to be a really nice pick for the Canucks, especially with that number five spot that they didn't like seem like they could have been wasting that pick on him at first in 2017. But he's putting up those numbers relatively easily when he's in those games. It's not like he's working that hard for him. I mean, yeah, you think about the 2017 draft. I believe that was the uh, Nico Heischer, Nolan Patrick draft. You think about those guys, not not our knocking them. Nolan Patrick obviously has immense potential for the Flyers. And I believe at least under Scott Gordon in the interim, he's he's already shown that. But uh, even more so, Nico Heischer, who's a good player in his own right for the Devils, you think about Elias Pettersson, like, that's a really good pick uh, in that draft that wasn't really thought to be that deep. So good for the Canucks and uh, good for the brand. The uh, Speaking of good for the brand... The Tampa Bay Lightning this season have been absolutely on fire. Arguably the best team in the NHL. They've been on fire since the season started. They've got scoring. They've got goaltending. Vasilevsky came back in his first game from injury a few weeks ago and got a shutout. I think it was like 40-something saves. I mean, Tampa's just ridiculous this year. Parker, I'm sure you're pretty happy about that, huh? Yeah, it's pretty exciting, but they haven't really had that hard of a schedule yet so far. The second half of their schedule gets a lot tougher. They have a lot of playoff ready teams that they're going to be going up against like the flames for instance and uh like uh the predators they haven't i don't think they've played the predators yet and they're gonna be playing the sharks a lot more so i say yeah keep that in mind because like the second half of their schedule is going to get really tough uh so far it looks really well for tampa bay because they have so many point producers all throughout their depth chart which you don't see a whole lot in the nhl right now uh, like just looking at their list right now at roughly the halfway point of the season, they have seven 10 goal scorers and three of them are already above 20. So as long as that consistency stays throughout the team, they are going to be a huge contender for the cup. I don't think they're going to win because this is a story that we've seen so long. And like by now we've seen it for how long, maybe the past five years that Tampa Bay has been like the team to win the cup and they never do it. But Yeah, but we said the same thing about the Capitals, and look what happened. So, I mean, anything's possible. I mean, yeah, they finally, the Caps finally won it. But Tampa Bay, I think they, they have the, all the potential in the world. They're right now looking at their team stats. They are first in goals. They're first in assists, first in shooting percentage, and first in power play. And their defense isn't anything to knock off either. Their defense is 14th in goals against and 14th in penalty minutes. And their penalty kills in the top 10 in the league. Like, not saying that those numbers are going to maintain throughout the rest of the season, especially when they get towards trade deadline and afterwards when they're in the harder parts of their schedule. But it's looking really good for them right now to get these points early so that if they do have a drop-off, they're still easily going to make the playoffs. I think looking at that roster, too, you see a little bit of the changing of the guard, if you will. Um, When Steve Eisenman stepped down from his role as the uh, general manager early in the season, People were kind of curious as to, well, who's going to take over now? What's, you know, what's going to be the game plan? Um, there's a very highly thought of man named Julian Breezeball who took over. He's been coveted by many teams for many years. I remember him being in the rumor mill since the first Edmonton Oilers GM firing, and he's still in the rumor mill, which you're really on the hot feet. But, I mean, you look at Breezeball, what he's done. He brought up Matthew Joseph from uh, AHL, I think it's Syracuse, whatever. I, if I'm wrong, sorry. Syracuse Crunch. Yeah, uh, he, he brings up Matthew Joseph, who is... Uh, 
top three in goals for rookies behind uh, Pedersen and uh, Andrei Svechnikov. So, I mean, that's obviously a big move that uh, Iserman uh, may not have been ready to make. Brinsbois has got a lot of talent, and I think he's going to be truly tested when the trade deadline comes around and finagling the cap a little bit. But all in all, I think he's done a great job early on in his tenure. Yeah, there, there's a lot of good uh, young players that got called up this season, like Eric Kernak, the uh, defenseman that Tampa got when they traded Ben Bishop to the Kings. He's been playing really good to the point that he is now in the defensive rotation when Anton Strahlman came back from being injured. Like, he's now part of that rotation now. I mean, I remember talking to you right after that trade happened with Ben Bishop and uh, talking about how people viewed that trade as a relatively relatively low return for uh, Ben Bishop, who was at the time a pending UFA. But I said at the time, Eric Cernak had a lot of potential to be uh, at least a top four defenseman, if not a top six or at very worst. And I think he's really proven that. Not like Tampa Bay is hurting for defense when they have Ryan McDonough and Victor Hedman, but <laughs> good for them in getting a good return for a pending UFA. Yeah, with... Uh... You said Cernak, pronounced right. I don't want to mess up pronunciations, but I'll probably do that anyway eventually. Like, he's averaging almost 18 minutes time on ice, and for just coming up into the NHL and getting into that rotation, that's a lot of playing time for a young defenseman to be doing, and it's really impressive that he's been able to maintain his level of consistency. Like, basically, looking at numbers, splitting time with Strawman in the rotation. Oh, fun fact. As of, uh, I believe it was, like, Friday, so maybe a game or two off here, um... Here's how good Tampa Bay's been. Louis Domingue, or Domingue, uh, the backup for Tampa, he's 15-4 and four with a just above 900 save percentage. So this guy is doing less than league minimum King saves. King Louis. He is doing almost <laughs> less than the minimum a goalie should be doing, and he's got 15 wins. Uh, so I, I don't know. Tampa's carrying their own to justice. Honestly, a lot of this has to... I mean, we have to give a lot of credit to Steve Eisenman. I mean, a lot of the players on the roster right now like, when they were hitting unrestricted free agency, a lot of people were like, oh, they're not coming back. Like, Steven Stamkos, for instance. Everyone thought he was going to be going to Toronto. Toronto. And he signs a team, very team-friendly deal. And then Victor Hedman signs one, too. Both of these deals are below what they could have gotten elsewhere. Like, look at the Kucherov signing. He has that $9.5 million per year. Anywhere else, he could have gotten, like, 12 13 14 million. And I think Absolutely. it's... Like, Ryan McDonough, too, like, he's at, like, what, $7.5 million, $8.5 million, something like that? Well, with McDonough, it's a friendly deal. He got him because he had years left. He's got two years left. Yeah, and it's, like, it's, uh, the fact that he was able to bring all these ultra-talented players in and retain them is impressive, and that's why this team's as good as right now. Now, next up, like, he just got Gord signed, but now he has to worry about uh, Braden Point. He's the next big one that you got to keep an eye out for. Don't forget Vazzy. Vassy, yeah. it's, oh. Yeah, with the... Oh, he's the, still on his bridge contract. Right now with uh, Tampa Bay that I think is going well for them in terms of contracts is, yeah, they're taking team-friendly contracts. Like, looking at... I'm looking at the contracts right now. At least for this season, Kucherov's listed at a 5.55 million a year. Stamkos is at 9.5. McDonough's at 5.3. And, yes, they could be getting paid a lot more somewhere else. And that those are, numbers are just for this season. Those numbers are going to probably go up for next year. But, like... When you have players that are willing to take a money hit to win, that's when you're going to su- get success. Like, if you look, like, me being a Colorado fan, I'm, I'm knowing of the contracts that hits that Colorado took in the 95-96 season when they were an inaugural team in Denver and in the 2000-2001 season when they won the Cup. The contract hits that Peter Forsberg, Joe Sackick, Milan Hayduk, Adam Foote, Rob Blake, even Ray Bork took 
to get that team to success and win then, that's when you know that you have a good program with good players who care about winning for the franchise and for the team. I got to correct you a little bit there because I wouldn't say that any of those players took a cap hit because there was no cap. Back then in the 90s and early 2000s, there was not a salary cap. The whole thing with players taking less money back then was that uh, they wanted to basically maximize their endorsements and such. And the the better the players you have on the team, the better your team's going to do. I think the whole thing about taking less cap hit, I mean, obviously there's an internal cap for every team. Every owner gives you a how much you can spend for the GMs. But, uh, you know, just, just to correct you a little bit, there was no salary cap, but I understand not, where Not from. initial salary cap, right. but like you said, you can spend this much money, right. which they had to do. It was easier to do back then than it is now. So it shows you now that Tampa Bay is really dedicated, at least the players are dedicated to winning right now for their franchise, which brings up more of a point that it, they really need to win now before those players are like, I'm going to go get that Stanley Cup somewhere else. Uh, speaking of teams that like to burn money, the Edmonton Oilers. Oh. <laughs> um, I talked about this just briefly when we talked about Julian Brisebois and Peter Shirley. What on earth are the Edmonton Oilers? I mean, you talk about a player who chose money over team. I'm not faulting Connor McDavid. If I had to play for the Edmonton Oilers, I'd take money too. But you see McDavid, 14-something million. You know what he's there for. He knows he's got a... 15 million. 15 million. Plus Still a lot of money. You know he's going to take that team to the playoffs on his back. I mean, and that's no shot at any of the players like Leon Dressadel or, um, you know. Maroon. Even, uh, who's it now? Uh, Cam Talbot and Koskinen. I mean, those guys obviously are good, but that defense is rough. Uh, just going to fact check you here. You were saying how Domingue, or Domingue, however you pronounce it, is barely above the league, mi- league minimum for save percentage, what you would consider for a goalie. Talbot is at... Eight nine six save percentage and three point two GAA. Your backup goalie has basically the same amount of wins, more losses, and better stats in both categories. Like Carter McDavid is carrying this team on his back. If you're looking at that team, it's literally Leon Drysaitel, Newton Hopkins, Chason, and McDavid putting up all the points. And on then that you team. can maybe make a case for Oscar Clefbaum because he's your only good defenseman. Yeah, yeah, and and same thing with Darnell Nurse because he's at twenty points right now. 20 yeah 20 points and it's like that this team is the exact opposite of Tampa Bay when you come to talking about points being put up it's McDavid's show it is the Connor McDavid show on Edmonton and for people saying like he can carry us to the playoffs right now Edmonton is third to last in the Pacific sitting behind Vancouver Anaheim San Jose Vegas and Calgary and they're only four points right now ahead of Arizona with one more game played. Even Ken Hitchcock can't save this franchise. I You're mean, currently and, tri- and here's the thing. The people that are riding Ken Hitchcock because he's not doing anything, guess what? He came out of retirement, so like he has nothing at stake here, whether or not he wins or loses. Ken Hitchcock's just here on his good graces. When you look at Edmonton... And money. So yeah. many things have gone wrong for this gong show of a team in the past year. You look at... They admitted to playing Oscar Clefbaum 80% injured for the past two seasons. Hello? Hello? Not to mention, you right. also have the trade for Adam Larson for Taylor Hall. Uh, they, Yikes. they traded essentially Jordan Eberle for Matthew Barzell because it was a draft pick that they got for Jordan Eberle. That's, that's pretty rough. You look at the team they would have had, and you take a, like just look at the salary caps. Milan Lucic, who is now part of their quote-unquote 
identity line is making <laughs> like six <laughs> wait, million. No. Wait, the the what? Oh yeah, identity you, you missed line. this. The, they made a line and they talked about this in a paper called the identity line, and it's Milan Lucic and two other trash cans. The only thing Lucic can like, do at this point is hit, and that's really sad. Like when you're when you're talking about trades, like in what you could have had in return, like. Once again, I'm bringing up Colorado because Colorado had a long time in like the early 2000s after their Stanley Cup runs where they were just notorious for making terrible trades. We traded Kevin Shattenkirk for Eric Johnson, not saying that's a terrible trade, but like Eric Johnson is so injury prone. Like I love him as a defenseman, but when he's out for 25 games a season, when Kevin Shattenkirk is putting up points, whether whatever team he's on, he's on the Rangers now, right? He hasn't been too hot uh, this season. Like he hasn't though. been too hot, but he's playing all 82 games. Sure he's on the Caps. Yeah, he might be on the Caps. I don't know. Well, I haven't followed him. No, a bit. no, he he was on the Caps when he got traded from the Blues. But right, but right now he's signed with oh, the Rangers. Rangers. He's and, back with the Rangers. And Colorado drafted Johnny Boychuk, and he's been in the league for so long. <laughs> Too Welcome long, to the Islanders. Some might say, but he's been consistent for almost his entire career when he played for Boston, and right now he's playing for the Islanders. It's like, yeah, you could get more, and like, there's other teams that bite themselves, like practically shot themselves in the foot with trades like Toronto trading Tuka Rask. Like, I bet they're still regretting that trade. I do not have Anderson right now. <clears throat> And, but what about the Rask? <laughs> what about should not have been traded? What about the Flyers? <laughs> the Flyers Lindros? trading Bobrovsky. Bobrovsky's a pretty rough one. They, they rough. have not had a goaltender. Let's not forget that in uh, years. That do you guys know who Tuka Rask was traded for? Who was it again? Uh, so I don't remember the entire trade, but it was Tuka Rask for Andrew Raycroft. Andrew Raycroft had a bomb rookie season. Oh that no. Was <laughs> Yeah. Andrew Raycroft. Yeah. <laughs> what are we playing? Two, NHL 2K7? If we could take a look for a minute for teams that were burning money. Um, I want to go and talk about the Los Angeles Kings for a second here. Oh. That that garbage fire. Let, that, let's pay our entire aging core above the age of 30 at least $9 million That garbage fire of a team, um, which essentially re-signed most of their players that ended up winning them the cup. I want to say, when was the last time they won it? Like 2012? Was that the year? Was? Yeah. yeah, that team that ended up re-signing most of their core. Which is now aging is in their um, middle to almost late thirties as they're going as we're going into this season, and are currently sitting at the bottom of the Pacific Division with thirty seven points. Yeah, I bet Elliot Colbert's like really like signing there. Yeah, I, I remember uh, that stat that Adam brought up where they are last in the league in it, every stat except uh, for one. Penalties. Oh, yeah, penalties. I'll, yeah. I'll, say I'll say it again. Uh, here's an updated list. All right, goals for dead last. Uh, goals against, their 18th. Assists, dead last. Shooting percentage, second to last. Power play percentage, their 27th. Power play, well, penalty kill percentage, 29th. Penalty minutes, five. <laughs> Congrats, LA. You're really bringing, bringing the gung-ho when it comes to goons. So, so you want to say the Oilers are a garbage fire. Just, just take a look out west. So. I, you know, I, I like to hear about the Eastern Conference bias and how it's always Toronto, Montreal, and all these Eastern teams. I know the West doesn't get any love. Listen, let me tell you something right now. If the West got anything to love this year, it'd be all hate. You look at that dumpster fire of a conference. The Sharks traded for Eric Carlson, and he didn't score a goal for 20 games. Which, Eric, Eric Carlson's on a 14-game I know, point streak I right did now. see that. He is on a streak. Good for him. He's, he's definitely back to his form. But you look at the Kings, who are terrible. The Coyotes, who barely exist. The, Coyote, the sad thing about the Coyotes is that they just lost two players for the season with Auntie Nick Ranta Schmaltz. and Nick Schmaltz. Yep, that's pretty rough. I mean, like, and I mean, look at L.A. I, I just can't believe you think firing Dean Lombardi and Daryl Sutter is a good thing. Maybe a change of coach is fine, 
But the, the guy who's supposed to have been taking over there, um, I think his name is uh, John Fuda, or it's something, Mike Fuda, who is like the assistant GM there for some time now. He hasn't taken the reins yet for whatever reason. And you want to talk about a guy who's being stifled? Mike Fuda should have the reins of that team. Not only that, but the coach that they hired to replace uh, the Sutter with, uh, what was his name, with John Stevens, he just got John fired Stevens. this season too. Yeah, um, and John Stevens, like, he didn't do a terrible job. He just didn't have the room, which is unfortunate. But And, and it's like the, that team really quickly went from being... Like no, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of the right word. Like very uh, like an upper echelon team. Like up, like uh, like like it was one of the top teams. Yeah. So now it's just a dumpster it's a, it, fire. It's a garbage fire, as, as I said. Like, they, they within, within their, one season, they passed their prime that only lasted one season because they ended up resigning everybody to long term contracts when, for no apparent reason. When you build a team that's big and bulky and win, and then you don't catch up with the rest of the NHL, you're probably not going to win very much often after that. Yeah. Do they even have any speed skaters? They you want to say Dustin Taylor. Brown? I mean, Carl Heidman, when he's healthy. But, I mean, like, t- take a look at that roster. Aside from Andrzej Kopitar and Drew Doughty, who do they have? Like, Kovalchuk, okay, he's a sniper and he's 35. Like, he's not going to do what he used to. Like, to put well, it, I mean, there's Jake put Muzzin, it into, he's just a big bruiser. To yeah. put it into perspective, nobody on L.A. right now is even near a point per game. Nobody. The closest one is Anze Kopitar with 29 points in 43 games. Unless Pitiful. you wanted to say Dustin Brown with 25 and 34. But we're talking about players who are playing the entire time. Brown has been hurt a bit. Like, you look in, if you're looking at that team, it's like they're consistently bad. Consistently Consistent injured. Bad. Yep. Like, like you're saying, like if we're saying that 900 save percentage should be your minimum to be an NHL goalie, Jonathan Quick, 902. 902. And this guy. And you know what's bad when John Quick's not even able to play good right now. Like, if you're just. You know what's bad. Well, he's always hurt. It's bad when your franchise goalie, for the longest time, the the face of Team USA hockey for goaltending, whether you like it or not. Nice job, Walter. Just saying. (laughs) Uh, Don't know if that came up in the recording. Um, Might have. But when he puts. Like, there's so much of a drop off. It's like. What happened to this team? And the thing is, is that in the playoffs last season, when they were when they, in the oh, who did they play the Knights, yeah, yeah. and they got quick, they got four would tried so hard to carry that team, and they got like swept. But he had a save percentage of like point like nine six or something. It was like some ridiculous. But you can't play the card that they got swept by an expansion team. That happens every once in a while. Like you can't just blame it. Yeah, with like. I believe going back to that series with Jonathan Quick's stats, I believe he was the first goalie in NHL history to put up a save percentage over a certain number and lose every game. Yeah, it was like I've, above 950. Unreal. Uh, speaking of uh, controversies in the NHL, there's a pretty dumb one, and we hear it every year, and this time it's around Alex Ovechkin. So as everyone here knows, and probably everybody in the world knows by now, Alex Ovechkin's not going to the ASG this year. Wah, wah. The dude just won a cup. He's been an entire summer binge drinking to the point of blocking out. I mean, give him a break. And he's still, he's on pace to hit 60 goals this year, if not 70. He's on one of the best goal scoring bases of his career. Isn't, like, he, isn't he facing a suspension for not going? Yeah, one so game. Here's the, here's the really dumb part. If you skip the All-Star game, for whatever reason, the NHL thinks you should uh, sit out a game. So, yeah, Carey Price isn't going either because he's injured. Yeah, so... Well, a lot that's a different case. Always healthy. Yeah, okay, we'll pretend Carey Price is hurt. A, a <laughs> lot of times, NHL teams like to give out the all-star bug to their players who don't want to go. Uh, Ovi just came out and said, I'm not going. You know, he's tired. He wants to get a break. Oh, and the NHL, by the way, is punishing him by giving him one extra day off. Pretty funny, huh? 
I, I just don't understand. The All-Star Game is the least watched All-Star event in the entire uh, top four sports, including the NFL Pro Bowl, which is consistently held on molten lava in the middle of a rain shower. Are you talking about the Puppy Bowl? I'm pretty sure that this gets more Walter. views. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, honestly, the, the ASG is never that fascinating. So what if Ovi's not going? It's time for a new crop. I honestly like how how many more times do you care if you see Ovechkin in the All Star game? I'd rather even as a Penguins fan, I'd rather see Ovi go out and do some crazy stuff in the playoffs and break the Hall of Fame Wayne Gretzky's record for goals in his entire career than watch him do some stupid trick in an All Star. You don't want to see him Sorry. play threes for the five thousandth time. Like, I really love the skills competition that they did for All Star games, but like I, I like the idea of the bracket. Um, for divisions, it's interesting seeing fast-paced threes hockey, but it's it's like they just don't get the views. Why would you punish a player who's picking his personal health and re- and resting his body for his team as opposed to going to the All Star game, which is fan voted for the most part anyway? The reason is money, views, Shocking. everything else. But yet you're not going to lose viewers by Alex Ovechkin not going to that game. Honestly, like you really aren't. With how many players are around the league, and I believe the Capitals still have another player being represented in that All Star game anyway. Every team does. Yeah. Yeah. Like, who cares? Like, you're you still have representation from every team. Why would you give him another day off anyway when that's all he's looking for and punish him? Oh well, he's probably gonna go get drunk anyway. (laughs) Oh, speaking of, I I remember the uh, 2016 All Star game with uh, the. MVP of all time, John Scott. That was probably oh, yeah. the one All-Star Love game it. that I watched that I, I truly enjoyed. Um, speaking on teams that probably want to get drunk at this point, it's <laughs> All-Stars. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, uh, if I had to pick a, a mid-season competition for which team is it more of a gong show, Tank. the Senators, Oilers, and Stars, I probably would have a hard time deciding. So, uh, last, I believe it was sorry, two weeks ago, Dallas Stars president, um, Jim Lights, came out and said, uh, Things I cannot say on this station, but uh, let's just say... He Bleeping, can, bleep, bleep. <laughs> he compared their two-star players to a barn animal. Uh, so, with that said, he called out Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn. The stars as a whole have been okay since he called them out, but Tyler Sagan has uh, 10 points in six games since it happened, I believe. Jamie Benn, on the other hand, not so hot. He's only got a couple points, and he's actually been a lower CF percentage. That's, of course, he, um, four percentage as well. Uh, than he was prior to being called out. I, I don't know when the last time a president publicly came out and admonished his star players, but there's a reason you don't do it. I mean, like, yeah, I don't understand where he comes from for it. Yeah, they're putting up lower numbers comparative to their own star level, but Dallas is still the third-ranked team right now in the Central, sitting five points behind Nashville and six points behind Winnipeg. Like, they're only two points ahead of Colorado, but, like, I understand frustration. I get very frustrated watching some of these players and watching sports in general. Like, there's a lot of people who do. But, like, you don't just call out players, like your star players like that, and expect no repercussion. I wouldn't be surprised if either of these players left the team after their contracts are up because of just that one statement. Because they don't deserve that amount of disrespect. Yeah, you need tough love sometimes. But what he said, I think, was completely uncalled for. And it's going to come and bite him in the butt when it comes contract time, I think. Because they're going to ask for either more money or they're gone. Yeah, because isn't Sagan up for an extension? Nope, because Tyler Sagan just signed it this year and it didn't kick in yet. He signed an eight-year extension. I don't remember for how much. I believe it was like nine-ish. 
Uh, it, it hasn't even kicked in yet. And he made a big deal about it in the press conference, um, Jim Lights, that is, about how he's paying Sagan all this money and he's not producing. Jamie Benn as well, he signed for, like, five, I believe five or six more years, I'm pretty sure. Like, he just re-upped the contract a couple of years ago. I, at what point do you figure out that these guys are probably... They're, I mean, they're probably not going to be up for a contract anytime soon. Like, right now, Jamie Benn is being paid $13 million a year, and right now, he's at 32 points in 43 games. Which, I'm sorry, but... Yeah, I can see where the owner's coming from in that instance. When you're paying $13 million, when you're paying anything over $9 million a year for a player, they should be getting a point per I game. Mean, Jim, I mean, Jamie Benn's not worth that much. He wasn't worth that much when he signed it. Yeah, he wasn't worth that much when he signed it, granted. But when you're paying someone that much money, they need to produce to, to at least the level of a captain. Uh, and listen, Jamie Benn's always been more of the, um, uh, if you will, rougher on the edges kind of two-way-ish power forward guy. He's never been the fancy point producer. Tyler Sagan's the fancy point producer. He's the guy, he had 40 goals last year. He was in, uh, I think it was like fourth or fifth in the, uh, like the, we call it the heart race. I mean, Tyler Sagan had a great season. Tyler Sagan also is extremely consistent, streaky. He went from like 70 points, he had like 50 the year before, like 60. He's basically a point-per-game player over his career, but this is also a guy that you know is going to be streaky. Jamie Benn, up until a couple of years ago, he was just a mid-tier player, and then he, he had that like crazy heart-winning season, and he's he's right around where, he, where Jamie Benn should be. Just because he makes $13 million doesn't mean he's going to be worth it, and that's on Jim Nill for doing that. Yeah, there's nothing looking at his stats as a point producer. Granted, he's not a straight point producer. He's, like you said, that gritty kind of two-way power-forward player, and consistently he puts up anywhere from 60 to 70 points a year consistently he had two years in a row where he put up 85 plus and then he followed up with 69 and followed up with 79 and right now he's sitting at 32 in in half the season which if you just say oh 32 and half the season he's going to finish at 64 that's still around his average that he's producing for his career but that's not 13 million dollars a year like you look at other power forwards that have that kind of role in the league like Gabe Landeskog for Colorado who's right now I believe his contract like just so I don't fake it even though me being an avalanche fan i should know the contracts um looking at gabe landeskog's contract of six million dollars a year when gabe landeskog consistently points up puts up like 50 to 60 points a year and right now he's sitting at 49 in the same amount of games as jamie ben like that's a giant discrepancy it, it really is kind of insane how the dallas stars who should be a contender every year Honestly, really aren't. Like, aside from Rajalov, Sagan, and Ben, and I mean Klingberg to a certain extent, they've got okay goaltending. They, I mean, they've got a decent defense. Yeah, I see Parker looking at off. Ben Bishop has a 9-2-7 save percentage this season, but his goaltending is just okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Birdo. I see you. I mean, and quite frankly, yes, Ben Bishop is, is, is pretty good. Overall, like, that goaltending is still meh. I mean, I figured who their backup is. Who was it? Hodolton? Could, yeah. could open, yeah. Yeah. Could open. yeah, but he had a really good season with Boston last year. He's putting me uh, into really good fantasy number positions when he does play for Dallas. Thanks, Adobin. <laughs> <laughs> had to throw that in there. Yeah, I, don't know. I think Burroughs' mind might be stuck back to like two, three years ago when they had uh, Lettinen and Niemi as their goaltenders. Oh, and let me tell you, a, oof, what a Don't remind me of Niemi the there, buddy. <laughs> um, I remember the Pens yeah, had no. him. Let's just trade him away. Yeah, no, I mean, like, the, the All-Stars, they're just they're something. I mean... It's a gong show. What are you going to do? Get, getting away from the NHL a little bit and onto a different type of gong show. Mm. Um, the NFL, more importantly, 
I wanted to get everyone's opinion on uh, what they think about the Super Bowl, what their predictions are. So we'll start there. Um, I guess we'll kind of go round table like we did last time with the uh, college football, and uh, we'll we'll start with Parker, I guess. Well, if I was going to go for the Super Bowl that would make the most money, it would probably be the Saints and Patriots, just to see Tom Brady and Drew Brees go at it. But mm, me personally, I think the Super Bowl is going to end up being something like the Saints and maybe the Chargers. I would have to agree on that fact there. I mean, here's the thing. The Chargers haven't lost to the same opponent twice. When they played the Ravens first time, the Ravens just destroyed them. When they played the Chiefs the first time, the Chiefs destroyed them. The second time they played them... They beat them. They made those adjustments, and they were able to come back and beat them. Um, and they were a very well-balanced team. <laughs> I mean, besides Philip Rivers being Philip Rivers, they have Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa as their yeah. pass rushers. And they have one of the most underrated secondaries in the league. And they have, you know, probably the defensive rookie of the year, Derwin James. And they brought back Antonio Gates. Yeah, but Antonio Gates hasn't really played that good this season, let's be honest. He looks 40. <laughs> and, but Hunter Henry just got activated off the IR when he tore his uh, ACL no, eight I months mean, ago. He might be coming back. Don't, don't you remember Stephen A. Smith said he was the player to watch when he was on the IR? Yeah. I, I would have to agree with Parker. I would enjoy seeing a Saints, a Saints Chargers Super Bowl. That, that would make my day. I, I would love to see Tom Brady lose uh, this upcoming weekend to, uh, to Phillip Rivers. So. I mean, I'm fully on board the uh, Nick Foles dream wagon to justice. Nick Foles, I mean, the Eagles, come on. I, listen, I, I definitely think it's going to be the Saints, personally. But I, I'm holding on a hope. I, I think, personally, I'd like to see an Eagles Super Bowl. I don't even care at this point. Probably the Patriots, because let's be honest, it's probably going to be the Patriots again. Um, I could see arguments for pretty much every team at this point. Um, but in my personal opinion, I don't think Nick Foles is going to be able to go for it two times in a row for the Eagles. Uh, like, I respect a lot of what he does for that team. I'm surprised he didn't leave the Eagles or go up to retirement after that year last year. But um, I think personally it's going to be the Saints versus Kansas City for the Super Bowl. I, I think that you're going to see Drew Brees go up against Pat Mahomes, and I think it's going to be a shootout. I'm surprised no one said the Rams. Yeah, well, you gotta have attendance to make a Super Bowl. Don't you? I I just don't see the I don't see the <laughs> I don't see the Saints losing to anyone in the NFC. Yeah, let I me, think let that me the just, Saints let me have just put enough. this on the record. Jared Goff is not a good quarterback. Uh, no, I disagree. He's not what everyone said he is, but I think he's good. Um, but I just don't see the Saints losing to Philly. I don't see the Saints losing to Dallas. I don't see them losing to L.A. They have too much on both sides of the ball. And Kansas City is just going to destroy you with offense, and they have enough defense to keep you in a game. Yeah, but the, but the Chargers have, still have an offense in the top five, and they also have a top five defense. Kansas City's defense can't stop a wet paper towel. I mean, not true. If you take a look and you see all these quarterbacks that are currently going to be playing in these games uh, over the weekend and that could possibly be moving on, uh, only like, I want to say two or three of them are just seasoned. Like you take a look at Tom Brady and then you take a look at Nick Foles from last year. You, you, you take a look at the Rams with Jared Goff. Jared Goff is not a seasoned playoff quarterback. This is only, I want to say, his second year going into the playoffs. This is also Kansas City's with um, Mahomes. This is their first season with him as their starter. Um, and then you see Drew Brees going in here possibly going to be playing for a second Super Bowl win. Or, no, correct me, I want to say this is going to be his third. Did Drew Brees, he, I think, would be second. Yeah, Would be second. second. I, did, he didn't win with the, one with the Rams back then. 
Drew Brees. What? Drew Brees. <laughs> what? what are you talking about? <laughs> Drew Brees. Drew Brees played with the Rams. Did you know that? <laughs> no, he oh. no, he played with the Chargers, and then oh, I'm a... he got traded for uh, Philip Rivers. <laughs> Correct. Sorry. Um, but um, we tried to cover. Oh no, wait, show, but, you know. wait, no. Yeah, we I mean, tried to mean, cover each other in Philip Rivers, and, and, and then he had free agency. Yeah, he played. He played for the Chargers. Correct. From 2001 to 2005, and then played for New Orleans from 2006 to present. But yeah, most of these quarterbacks, as I said, are not seasoned playoff veterans. Well, in, you look in most I, of this point. I'd be willing to argue because half of them, I think, are because you have Tom Brady, you have Philip Rivers, you Correct. have Drew Brees, and you have Nick Foles. That's half of the eight teams, and that's the only like those. In no offense to any of the other teams. Well, let me look at the Colts. And, 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 I don't and, know their team off the top of my head. Andrew, that, Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck made yeah. an AFC Championship game not even three years ago. Yeah, yeah. and that deflate gate right there. So you you have five out of the eight quarterbacks who are playoff seasoned. You have young potential with Jared Goff. Pat Mahomes and Dak Prescott. Whether you say Dak Prescott is a bust after the first year that he had following up with what he did last season, like whether it be, I think he has potential. But uh, like you're sitting here, every team that I see with the seasoned playoff quarterback are the only teams I see winning. Like I could see an argument for the Eagles. I can see an argument for the Saints. I see an argument for the New England Patriots. I see an argument for the Chargers. I'd love to see Phillip Rivers finally win a Super Bowl. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's going to be Kansas City with Pat Mahomes, and you're going to see the Saints on the other side of the field with Drew Brees going into one of his last years because the man's 39 years old. Like, he's going to be out the door soon. If this isn't his last season, I think next year is. He can only be on Ellen DeGeneres' show so many times, let's be honest. <laughs> and not to mention, I'm going to make a hot take right now that this, this season will be Tom Brady's last year in the NFL. Why do you say that? Because his wife is getting involved in it. His wife wants him to be a father to their children. And I would. I would. Not <laughs> <home>. <laughs> then you. Ha- then she has to go straight to Robert Kraft's door and you, tell him to the stop wife, giving when the him wife Tom money. Starts, when the <laughs> wife and the family start calling, you're done. Happy wife, happy life. Uh, finally, I get a chance to make an actual segue on this <laughs> podcast. One one bowl game to another. Rip. We're going to talk a little about the uh, the bowls in the college a little bit, and also we're going to get to the uh, national championship with what I like to call <laughs> Alabama. Uh, <laughs> give me the tissues. I'm going to cry. Alabama hadn't gotten hit this hard since the Civil Rights Act of 1967. Oh. I'll lead off with bowl games in general since I'm more of the college football fan out of all of us. Maybe Walter followed up by Parker. No, I only followed the uh, national championship and then Notre Dame's crushing loss uh, to Clemson. Yep. So, uh, yeah, who didn't first, see that coming? First of all, none of us here saw it. No, because uh, we, no, no, we all predicted Alabama versus Notre Dame. <laughs> no, I, I picked Alabama versus Clemson. Okay. Um, but then you also picked Bama I, to win. Yeah, I did. Well, of course I'm going to pick Bama to win. I don't bet against Bama. I don't bet against Nick Saban. Um, but first of all, I want to say congratulations to the Clemson Tigers on that phenomenal win. Like that, as much as I hate to say it, and, and as much as it was frustrating to watch that game as a Bama fan, the worst loss in Nick Saban history at Alabama was in that game. He the the last time he won it, lost a game that bad was against L.A. Monroe in his first season at Alabama in 2007 when they lost at home. Like, to put that into perspective, just to show you how much of a dominance Nick Saban has had, that he hasn't lost by such a lead in so long, and it's the biggest loss he's ever had. Yes, it sucks it was in the national championship, but man... I was so impressed with how Trevor Lawrence played for that Clemson squad and how that defense played. But granted, Tua, as much as a great season he had, he limped across the end with, like, he had two 
interceptions through the regular season. He threw four in the SEC championship, the semifinal, and the championship game combined. And not saying he's not a big game player, he dug us a hole too big that we couldn't get out of. Because if you take those 14 points off the board, when Alabama goes for that fourth down on the kick, on that fake field goal, that score would have been 17 to 16 if those 14 points were off the board. Yes, you can say it all you want, but what happened happened. And Bama's inexperienced secondary was exposed for what it was inexperienced. They have a lot of talent, but they are not ready. And it's the smack in the face that they needed to be a top team again, because the curse of the number one prevails anyway. In all five years of the college football playoff, number one has not been able to win it yet. Like first year, you see Alabama lose to Ohio State in the semifinal. Year number two, you see Clemson lose to Alabama. Year number three, you see Alabama lose to Clemson. And now it's just reiterating itself again. Um, In other bowl news, though, um, I see a giant surprise with uh, Kentucky beating Penn State. I originally picked that game, uh, but no one really believed me, but... And I'm finally glad to see the undefeated UCF team lose to LSU. But I don't know. The one yeah. that was really shocking to me was uh, Texas and Georgia. Because all I kept hearing was, oh, Georgia deserved to be in the top four. And then they lose by two scores to Texas. And then now, every, <laughs> and now everyone's saying, oh, they just didn't want to play that game. One score. It, it was a very good game, but for what it was originally supposed to be, that, that Georgia team went into that game saying, we're going to prove that we were going to be the top four teams in the, in the country and prove that we should have been in the place of Notre Dame for the college football playoff, and they got beat by one score to Texas. It was a phenomenal game. So but do you still they, think that they should have been ranked number four? I, going into the playoff system, Georgia was the, one of the top four teams, but I saw the giant argument of, they just lost a playoff game anyway to Alabama because whether you like it or not, that was basically a quarterfinal game in the college football playoff because Georgia and Alabama were one of the top four teams. And Georgia lost. You're not going to put a two-loss ranked team into that that conversation. I want to make the argument for the fact that uh – that you said it was a quarterfinal. The Irish didn't play anything. So then that reinforces our point from the last time that the Irish should actually should have had a conference final or something of that matter to prove themselves to be there so that they didn't get run over by Clemson. So, so, so all right. I know I'm a new voice jumping on here. <laughs> this is Ben. This is, I'm Ben. <laughs> I am uh, <laughs> the host of Sports Talk on 90.7 WCLH, one of... Uh, the show's Parker will jump on with us a few times. Um, look, Georgia is still a top four team in the country. Let's be honest. DeAndre Baker did not play in that game against Texas. He's the best cornerback in college football. He's the, he actually won the award for best defensive back in college football. Makes a difference. Uh, look, game against Texas, I don't think that says a lot. I think that Georgia team really could care less you see the game against Alabama I agree with not putting them in the final four because they went into that game against Alabama knowing they had to win they had a 14 point lead and they went and blew it it's not fair to Alabama to put Georgia in as the number four and make Alabama now have to play them twice Alabama did their job Georgia didn't you know what, Georgia? I'm sorry. I know you're a t- you are one of the four best teams. You're not in the playoff now. 
that's the bottom line there. Yeah, and right now in ESPN's way too early top 25, Georgia is ranked number three in the country behind Alabama and Clemson. Georgia is, I believe, definitely capable of competing with those two teams. I think they're bringing in another top three recruiting class. This is going to be a Georgia team that once again next year, I think, competes for a national title. I want to do a segue to a, another surprising bowl loss. Um, the Citrus Bowl, Kentucky versus Penn State. Kentucky 27-24 over Penn State in the final seconds with, this, with that field goal. Um, I just want to say that it may not have been a... That wasn't in the last seconds, just so you know. Oh, okay. Penn, State, okay. Penn State scored 17 unanswered points in that fourth quarter. They almost came back and won that game. Okay, but still, that, that big upset, you had that argument as well. Penn State's going to run all over Kentucky. Oh, then Kentucky's going to run over Penn State. But yet, then you see this happen. I, I just want to go and say that I, I, I'm very happy for the Kentucky Wildcats. I am very happy that they ended up crushing Penn State in that. Because it ended up putting all the people that ended up running uh, running up to me right as soon as the Irish lost. Oh, Penn State's the better team, and, the, uh, and all this other stuff. I'm Putting that sorry. to bed. It's just to like <laughs> being all of us being in Pennsylvania. We know how great, d- greatly devoted Penn State fans can be. Yeah, are. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are a team. I promise. Um, you guys went nine and three this season, nine and four with the bowl game. Great season on Penn State. I think you're going to see Franklin leave to go to another coaching position. Right now it's in the rumors that he can go to USC um, over in California. But, like, I went into this game, I'm like, Kentucky's going to shock them. Kentucky's going to show that they're really, really good defense, and that's all they really needed. Um, Kentucky went with into that game basically without a quarterback. <laughs> like, as much as you want to say, like, that Terry Wilson – is good for that team. He is a one-year starter in a system that he doesn't pass in. Like he has a good completion percentage. He he passed the ball 15 times in that Penn State game and only completed nine of them. Like he doesn't win games with his arms. You win that game with Benny Snell at running back and running out of the wildcat formation, and that's what they did against Penn State. They could not stop Benny Snell, and in that game he set. A Kentucky record for yards gained by a player. I believe that he, in the third quarter of that game with the touchdown run that he had against Penn State, he went over 4,000 total yards in his career as a Wildcat, and it set the franchise record. They had 176 uh, rushing yards Kentucky did in that game. Um, so I would have to agree with you on that. Um, I want to. Granted, we're talking about bowl wins here, but I want to. I want to say about blowouts. Uh, did. Uh, sorry, Sakic. Adam, did you watch? Did you watch any other bowl game other than those? Um, all the bowl games that I watched, I watched uh, all of the semifinal games. I watched the national championship, obviously, mm-hmm. since Bama was in it. Right. Um, I watched. I watched Arizona State, Fresno State, and that was a very good game. Surprisingly, I went to that game, and I'm like, okay, what what can these two teams bring to me? Uh, I have a friend who goes to Arizona State, and that was a very, very good game for them. Mm-hmm. They didn't get the win. Fresno State wins thirty-one to twenty. That was an entertaining game. Um, Florida, Michigan, though. I I watched some of that game. That was very nice. I forty-one fifteen in the Chick Fil A. I think Harbaugh is a very overrated coach at the, I the collegiate don't, I level. I don't think so, but I think he's taken a program as far as he could. He can't win against a team that's over five hundred. But he like I'm sorry, actually, actually, he can't. Wrong. 
wrong. Those two <laughs> wins against Team Over 500 were both against Florida. He, I mean, yeah. Michigan, the first time Michigan played Florida in a Bulls when Jim Harbaugh was a coach, and this was back when Jim McElwain was the coach of Florida, uh, Florida got destroyed like 40 to 10. Two instances like is not going to make the whole thing. And then overall, Jim Harbaugh as a coach in, at the collegiate level is a bust for Michigan. Like, Michigan fans love Harbaugh, but I'm just like, he's not the coach you need. I think that, like, he's a good game-time coach. I give him credit. He's not a collegiate coach. He's not good at recruiting. Yeah, they picked off one of the better corner... Like, they picked off from Alabama the number one cornerback recruit in the country this year, but it's because he wanted to start right away. He's not starting right away at Alabama, and that's just the sad thing. Like, I shouldn't say sad thing. It's a smart choice on the kid's part because he wants to start right away, develop right away, show his talent to the NFL, and get the heck out of there because he wants the money. And that makes sense. And I don't doubt any player like is going to disrespect him for that. I'm not. But like, it's, not, it's just not reasonable to say that he's a successful collegiate coach. Yes, he's good in game time, but as an overall recruiter and developer of talent, he is subpar compared to everyone else in the college football world. I want to bounce back to the blowouts for a second. The Music City Bowl was uh, Auburn going over Purdue 63-14. to But the biggest, in my opinion, from what I was able to pick Army out... Army versus Troy? Correct. Troy. No, Army versus, Army uh, versus Houston, Houston in, the Lock- in the Lockheed Martin Armed, For- Armed Forces Bowl. 70-14. to 14. I don't understand what, what football team you were going to be thinking, thinking involving that letting up that many points in a bowl game you you would see that in normally in the regular season but not in a bowl game so i i I think that's the surprising part for me so uh yeah with uh going with blowouts for that army game versus houston it was like i i originally had picked houston to win that game i believe uh in my picks that i do um but at the same time, I am not surprised that Army won that game. Army has a fantastic triple threat offense that is so hard to defend against. Like we saw what Citadel did against Alabama, putting <laughs> holding them to ten points and a half, and then scoring ten points. Like you saw, you saw. I, I absolutely love how Citadel took to Twitter during the semifinal against Oklahoma when Bama was up twenty-eight nothing, and they said o- Oklahoma in one quarter of football zero points. Citadel in one quarter of football, ten. And I'm like, <laughs> like, come on, <laughs> like, I triple option offense is an underrated game for some schools. Like, I I understand why a lot of schools don't do it because it's like it's really once you know what's happening, it's e- easy to defend to a certain point. As long as you have speed on the ends, it's really easy to defend. But, uh, yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, why did Army have to do this to Houston? 70 points. I was, I was in Red Robin watching this game with my dad on a birthday dinner. Red and Robin? I, yes. Yum. Um, not a shameless plug. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at, and I'm watching the Titans playoff game, and I look over to the TV to my right, I'm like, oh, my God, Dad, it's 63 to 14. What is going on? <laughs> it's called an inexperienced team versus the U.S. Army. Well, so, uh, Houston's not an inexperienced team. A couple of years ago, they were eleven and so, one. So okay, so okay, so here's a football team against the United States of America. <laughs> Good luck. So, like, um, if you look at the points that they put up, yeah, fourteen points in the first quarter, twenty-eight in the second. What? And then fourteen in the third. And, and this is quarters. all. And from when I was able to watch the Army Navy game this past year, before this bowl game even happened, I I, I watch that every year. So, but I just see Army usually just run the ball. 
Yeah. That's what happens when you face a rushing offense. Take a random guess on how many passes Army did in that game against Houston. Three. Two. Four. Uh, what? Their starting quarterback, Hopkins, three for three passing for 70 yards. They never throw and the then, ball. Then, <laughs> never. No, they don't. But, but when they but do, it's, it's like a completion. Yeah, yeah. And whenever it's completion, it's like a 70-yard bomb. And then their second-string quarterback, Hopkins, was one for one for 15 yards. Like, if you look at, at the stats in that game, like, this was the most underrated bowl, in my opinion, because it was so much fun to watch if you're just a fan of offense or if you're not a Houston fan. Um, <laughs> like, sorry, Houston, that we're bashing you, but you just can't lose by 56 points to Army. <laughs> I'm but, sorry. You were <laughs> Army was a six and a half point favorite going into this game, and they won. <laughs> they won by over nine times that amount. <laughs> as, I, as I said, that's what happens when you face a rushing offense. Most most defenses are are put out are put out there to practice against passing and rushing. You're not. You're yeah. going to. Con- the I more mean, you rush the ball, the quicker you're going to wear down those defensive yeah, linemen. I mean, which is going to yeah. win in the trenches. If you don't win the trenches, then you're. But the thing is about the, yeah. the thing is about the triple threat offense with that triple option running is that you don't know where the ball is going and it's always going to the outside. So it's not like your offensive linemen are going to be doing anything. And it's like you look at Army. 507 yards rushing. What is that's going... A, that's more yards than most teams have combined rushing. Combined, I mostly just see like... Four, I, I see up to 450 yards combined passing slash rushing. Uh, but yet, again, that's what happens when you just continuously tear down and wear out defensive linemen with the rushing attack. Yeah, and hopping off of the Army game, because we've been talking about that for a bit. Yeah. Like, big surprises in my mind of games that I watched. Right. Wisconsin-Miami. <laughs> what happened with Miami? They did not show up. They were... Don't have a they quarterback. They were a three... I, Don't I, have a quarterback. I know that. But they were still a three-point favorite without them. And they lost 35-3 to against a Wisconsin team that was, like... Force, who also didn't have a quarterback. Yeah. That was borderline, like, abysmal. What about the Oregon game? Yeah, they, they Wisconsin finally got exposed. I always felt they were very overrated. They've always uh, thrived off of the rushing attack. Like recently with Jonathan Taylor, but even before this with uh, Melvin Gordon or even uh, uh, James White. Like, yeah, um, hopping over to the Oregon game like Walter was trying to say. 7-6 seven, seven, over Michigan first, State. If I remember reading the stat correctly, first time... Um, a bowl game win scoring less ten less than ten points than I think two thousand eight. We have um, to fact check that something like that. I don't know. First time in forever. Let's just say that um, that a team has won a bowl game with less than ten points. I haven't seen that. Yikes. Yeah. Um, other than that, I watched the NC State Texas A and M game. I really thought that NC State was going to put up more of a fight, but at the same time, I'm not surprised because NC State, as much as they've been a really good team, surprisingly in their divi- uh, their conference and division the past few years, their their coach is just below the level of being a really successful collegiate coach. He can't coach in big games. Um, they a few years ago they almost knocked down Clemson, but they decided to go for a fake as opposed to just going what they did best, and that was running the ball against Clemson. And that was the year that Clemson won the national championship, if I remember correctly. So, like, that one coach made a better decision on his own play scheming. Clemson doesn't make the playoff that year. Clemson doesn't win the national championship that year. But, um, but yeah, like, overall, Bulls, I thought, went really how I thought, in my opinion, they were going to go. 
Like uh, except for national championship. <laughs> yeah. Alabama. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> We're not yeah, we already made that point. Yes. Uh, roll Tide forever. Anyway. <laughs> um, hot take. They're winning it next year. Um, <laughs> and Tua wins the Heisman. Calling it now. But anyway, uh, like, I'm just, my personal opinion, I'm really happy that UCF finally lost a game. Credit for them to having such that, like, giant winning streak. But they were getting too cocky. It happened with Alabama in the national championship, and it happened with UCF against that game with LSU. Best team make... they played was Cincinnati. Yeah, the Bearcats. The best team that they played, the best team that played against them up until LSU was Memphis. But uh, but with UCF, the same thing happened with Alabama. Their players got too cocky. They got too full of themselves, and when they got into a big game, they got smacked in the face. Uh, speaking of some big old losers, we're going to get to the uh, NFL head coaching vacancies next. And uh, I guess we'll start with the uh, the biggest head coach probably at the market still. If I knock on my paper. Um, Mike McCarthy, who apparently is turning down any and all jobs until he get, becomes the Jets' prodigal son again for some reason. Oh, my God. Why? Uh, I'm not really sure why, but uh, any head coaching vacancies you guys are particularly interested in? Well, it's not a vacancy anymore, but... Uh, Tampa Bay just picked up the coach. Uh, Parker knows him off the top uh, of his they, head. They just picked up uh, Arians. Arians, Arians, and then they have Todd Bowles coming in as the defensive coordinator. Oh, God. Yeah, that, that I think... That defense is going to get really good in a hurry. They have a lot of young, talented players on there. They just haven't had the right coach to develop them. I, Do you think I Bruce Arians will help uh, Jameis Winston's turnover issue? Um, Perhaps. Arians I mean, flat out I mean, came he out. made Carson Palmer look good. I saw it as a notification for me just as I'm like sitting here in the talk... Uh, podcast about, I want to say 20, 30 minutes ago that it came up, that mm-hmm. Arians flat out said that Jameis Winston is going to be the set man in that offense. And me, for following the Bucks for so long, I personally haven't followed the NFL in a while, but like once Jameis Winston became the quarterback, I'm like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start following him again. But like what he's done the past two years, I haven't really been impressed. I personally think that Tampa Bay would be best off if they went into this draft and got a quarterback and just sat him behind Jameis Winston and see what happens if Winston doesn't have a good year because you're not going to win any Super Bowl with Ryan Fitzpatrick as your backup quarterback and Jameis Winston as your starter with how they're playing right now. I'm not saying that they can't turn it around, but... I'm not saying that it's impossible for Jameis Winston to go back to what he was when he was that first and second year starter, becoming the first quarterback in NFL history to throw back-to-back 4,000-yard seasons in his first two years. Not saying that he can't do that again, but it all comes down to how they're personally going to react as a team because he has so many weapons around him with Mike Evans, O.J. Howard, Cameron Brate, Deshaun uh, Jackson. They, I personally need an offensive line, and they need a running back that can tote the ball 20 times a game that isn't Peyton Barber. Because <laughs> Peyton Barber is a decent running back, but I don't think that he is the number one running back for any team in the NFL. I think that he's a good third down back, and he's a decent second string on any team in the NFL, but he should not be your feature back in this system. I want to bring up also the fact of a no longer coaching vacancy. Well, it'd be with the Browns bringing in uh, Freddie Kitchens. Freddie Kitchens, yeah, yeah the was, coordinator. Yeah, he was the interim head coach for this past uh, for this past season. No, so, he, no, uh, no, no, no. Greg no, no, Williams yeah. was the interim head coach. He was their defensive coordinator. They're bringing in, they're promoting Freddie Kitchens to the head coaching job, so that way he was the interim Baker offensive Mayfield coordinator for the last eight games. It is for this past season. System. No, 
I, I don't know if everybody here watches uh, Hard Knocks, but um, no. there was a point of contention on the uh, Hard Knocks this season with the Browns, where at some point um, uh, the then head coach, uh, was it Hugh Jackson, yep. said to Freddie Kitchens, listen, we're sitting in different chairs, I sit in this chair. Well, guess what, Freddie? It's your time now. I, I think that dynamic with Baker Mayfield, the bit of personality and uh, introspection they have going on is going to be good for the Browns. The, the Browns will go as far as Baker Mayfield takes them, but man, they just need a sentient person behind the bench, and they'll be okay. Vic Fangio. Yeah, Jackson was perfect for a tank uh, job, and it's kind of funny that a lot of the coaches from the 2016 head coaching uh, class, all of them are fired except for Doug Peterson, and Doug Peterson was when everyone called the worst, worst hire. Yeah, for sure. Fun fact. Vic Fangio is now the head coach of the Broncos. I think that's a sneaky good hire in a league where everyone's trying to hire offensively-minded coaches. Being able to go back to good defenses, I think, is a really sneaky good hire with Fangio, especially with how the Bears have been one of the best defenses in the league. Not only this year, but they were good like the past three seasons. It's just no one noticed because their offense was really bad because Jay Cutler sucks. And who yeah, They have a lot of young players on that defense that at Chicago that they could get better and that is really what's making the argument for this head coach position being filled at the Broncos because if they can get a defense minded again at in Denver they can easily succeed with like in my opinion like subpar NFL quarterbacks uh but like you sit at the Bron- uh, at the Bears my mistake and see the young talent that they have in Amos Jr and Eddie Jackson just on the secondary just off the top of my head um like they are young safeties that have a great career ahead of them that are just getting better, just sitting in the games. Another coach that just got picked up recently, um, I don't know how recently, I assume it was the past couple days, the Cardinals uh, obviously don't have Bruce Arians anymore, but they just hired Cliff Kingsbury to be their coach. Yeah, he was the former head coach at Texas Tech, got canned this year and was the offensive coordinator at USC for the rest of the year. I do not agree with this hire. I get it. They're trying to develop Josh Rosen, but to be a head coach, you're not just responsible for the offense. You're responsible for the whole team. If they wanted to bring him in to develop Josh Rosen, just bring him in as the offensive coordinator. Right. The and the Packers the did the same exact thing by Matt, Matt LaFleur. LaFleur, the, offensive, the former offensive coordinator for the Titans. He used to be the offensive coordinator for Tennessee. At the Ram- not only at Tennessee, but yeah. also at the Rams. Was he under, under Jeff Fisher with that? Was he there under Jeff Fisher's rule? No. No, no he was there under uh, Mike Vrabel. Uh-huh. And then with uh, the Rams, he was there off in the coordinator under Sean McVay. Okay. You know, they're trying to hire the next Sean McVay. I think that's stupid. There's not going to be another Sean McVay. I mean, another one, obviously the hottest coach on the market right now, or, sorry, uh, coordinator, is probably Josh McDaniels from the Patriots. But, I mean, he's only going to go... Yeah, but he was only interested in the Packers job. Which, I, I don't, I don't take get it. this hire of Matt LaFleur. Like, I, I don't... Listen, maybe it pays off in the end. The Packers, as long as you have a healthy Aaron Rodgers and their their offensive line is pretty decent. Uh, honestly, that, that team will go as far as their offense takes them. And, I mean, again, just another team that needs a better head coach. I don't think Mike McCarthy was a bad thing, but I also don't think Mike McCarthy was the problem. That yeah, team's I, got I a think, lot of... I think he kind of ran his course. I yeah. mean, there was lots of contention with him and Rodgers, and you, you can't keep that within organizations, Absolutely. having that much conflict. Anyways, there are three head coaching vacancies left. There are the Bengals. They might get Hugh Jackson. I no, that, that, <laughs> like, yeah. like apparently Hugh Jackson and Vance Joseph were like the front runners for that. They'll become and, the uh, Browns now. Uh, God help them. <laughs> Hi, welcome uh, to the Cincinnati the, Browns. The, the, the uh, New York Jets. Mike McCarthy. They're also really high on Adam Gase. That'd be an interesting hire. And then the Miami Dolphins. 
Okay, Parker, um, since you're the Dolphins fan here, your thoughts. Who do you think they should go after? I want Darren Rizzi at this point. He is the Dolphins special teams coach, and there's been one constant on the Dolphins besides their con- their constant mediocrity. It's their special <laughs> teams is always in the top five, top ten in the NFL. And the fact that all these players have been coming out and supporting him, like Hall of Famer Jason Taylor from the Dolphins, he, he's supporting them. Like all these ex-players from the Dolphins, like Mike Pouncey and Jarvis Landry, and Mike Thomas with the, with the Giants, the Giants yeah. safety. Like, th- these are ex-players from the Dolphins who have nothing to gain from supporting him. And not only from within the organization, but outside the organization, too. All these guys are all high on Darren Rizzi. And I say, okay, screw it. Let's promote him. Let's see what happens. I mean, because it's no, it's no secret that the Dolphins are going to be tanking the next two years to get Tua. There's no secret about that. They finally realized Ryan Tannehill's not the answer. They finally realized that Jay signing Cutler. free agents above the age of 30 to high-priced contracts to, quote-unquote, change the culture is not working. And it's time to just tear down the whole roster. And I don't think there's anyone that can do that better than Darren Rizzi. Because yeah. at least with Darren Rizzi, he'll get the most out of his players. Now, I think, um, obviously, it's not a head coaching vacancy. I really thought one that was kind of interesting this week, though, was uh, James Saxon. Uh, I, I believe that's his name, who was the uh, Steelers running back coach. And the only reason I bring it up, aside from the fact that I'm a bit of a homer, sorry, uh, is the fact that Le'Veon Bell, who was obviously... Most likely not going to be on the team next year. He's or at the very worst, he's probably not going to play. Uh, and James Conner, who is you know obviously had a bit of an up and down season. It's kind of odd to see them fire this running back coach who turned these two running backs into I mean legitimate NHL NHL sorry NFL starters. Like no, at very worst, not only that, but the third string guy was looking pretty good too. Uh, yeah, I forget. I, what his I, name I is. can't remember his name off the top of my head. The Steelers yeah. also ended up firing Joey Porter as their linebacker coach because, yeah, finally that happens you because a, you you can't you need have fire your defensive coordinator. We need the f- defense. Uh, is hot, hot, hot take: fire Mike Tomlin. No, fire no, Mike no. Tomlin. What? He's not no. the problem. Are you sure about that? Yes. He is somebody not. who doesn't, somebody who's not willing to change up um, his play calling and anything like that matter. He doesn't to call face the plays. Anything. Keith Butler calls the plays. <laughs> so Mike Tomlin is not the problem. An aging Mike, team. Is, Mike Tomlin is he a CEO make those type decisions. coach. He leaves the play calling in the hands of his coordinators. We're at the point of the podcast where we now have three questionable uh, Wally quotes. Just putting that around. <laughs> <laughs> that and he calls me by my Xbox name. Thanks. But anyway, um, <laughs> Mike Tomlin is not the answer. The like is not, not the problem. Problem, you mean? <laughs> yes, not the problem. Thank you. Anyway, he's not the problem. Yeah, an aging team in a frustration mode is the problem. They have way too much frustration around that team and way too many like locker room Eagles. issues in Eagles. You, you have has, you have you the, have Antonio Brown, correct. and Le'Veon Bell, and Big Ben, who should have been you out ha- of the league three. You years have ago. Roethlisberger, who's not taking responsibility for the stuff that's I'm not going on. Big Ben always him throws everyone around him under the bus, and it is mad. But then you have Mike Tomlin coming in here with the cliche quotes through every single post game interview. Newsflash: He's an NFL coach. What do you want him to do? You want Listen, him to take responsibility for the actions of his players. Good, you are good, the head good luck, coach. Good luck. All right, watching NFL coaches give. Non-public relations answers during their interviews. I, Bill I, Belichick does it all the time. Bill Belichick, I rarely see move his well, mouth in any interview. Why don't you become a head coach and then talk to me? Do when, I have those when, qualifications? When, <laughs> you don't even have the qualifications <laughs> to be on this podcast, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, why, why don't you have a problem with Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and Ben Roethlisberger, and then you see how 
PR friendly you are. I guarantee you give the bare minimum bland vanilla answer. Yeah, I mean, the at the very worst, you'll get a Dallas Stars kind of thing where he's just cursing out his players, which is that. the complete <laughs> wrong thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, the last thing you want is your players to hate you. And that becomes even more of an issue because they don't want to play for you, and then they're going to be tanking and just taking their money and going. To the, the thing is, is that it's all to another team and taking more money. You also don't want your players playing with each other because you're again. We brought you brought up Antonio Brown. You brought up Offensberger. Throughout this entire season, you have had arguments between those two players either on the sideline or in the locker As room. I'm saying those are the issues. Yeah, Mike Tomlin's not. Here's what I'm saying that the Steelers should do. As me, an outsider who's not a Steelers fan, looking at what they have right now. What they need to do is, if Big Ben doesn't retire, because every single offseason the past five years is, oh, I'm going to see what I do, I'm going to go in, or I'm not going to go in. <laughs> and whether you like it or not, that's what Big Ben does. He's essentially Brett Favre without retiring. This, yeah, pretty much. It's ridiculous. And watch, he's going to retire and come back in two years, because why not? But then he's going to retire again for real, because he's going to break his leg. But um, <laughs> that, that, don't, but, don't do that. <laughs> But Big Ben... <laughs> you would have heard that off camera. We heard a glass bones of paper skin. <laughs> I really just want to acknowledge that. <laughs> Every night I cry myself to sleep until my heart, heart attacks put me to sleep. Anyway. Actually, actually, but, could, actually but, we, we, we have a guest in the studio, Neil. Will we br- I want to bring him on the air. Just here is a pianist because he is a Steelers homer. Uh, I'm just going to finish up. Roll, what, I'm just going to finish what I'm saying. What I think the Steelers need to do is whether Big Ben comes in the next season or not is Week One start Mason Rudolph because I honestly no, think no ju- start oh, Josh right. Dobbs first and then no, Mason no, Rudolph. No, no. All right, uh, I'm telling you right fight, now. Fight, fight, fight. All right. <laughs> This is me watching both of them throughout their entire careers in college with uh, Joshua Dobbs at Tennessee and Mason Rudolph at Oklahoma State University. Joshua Dobbs is not an NFL quarterback. I'm sorry. I'm sorry what he has done through his career at Tennessee under Butch Jones' offensive system. His comeback wins with a really bad team. He had some phenomenal plays. He had some phenomenal plays in college. I give him that. He was a good quarterback, but he is not an NFL talent. Mason Rudolph, I think, is one of the most underrated quarterback drafts that they have had, and I think he has the potential to replace Big Ben with not much issue. Whether you want to, as the Steelers, go in with that mindset, if you're going to draft a quarterback, draft Drew Locke from Missouri because he plays the identical game and is more mobile, and he is fantastically NFL-ready right now. I would personally, being the Steelers fan, well, me and Wally as well, uh, I I would personally, oh, Neil as well? Yeah, as well. I, I mean, I don't know about you guys. Listen, I know it's a pipe dream, but it is possible Steelers can make some kind of trade a little bit up and get Dwayne Haskins. I, I think that would be a great pick for us. I really like his play. There's no way the Steelers they would change their system trade up from the 19th pick yeah. or 20th pick, wherever they have, all the way up to three or four. Our I could see no it. way. I could see it. Uh, personally, I think Dwayne Haskins is going to go anywhere from the five to seven pick range, depending on where picks fall. I don't know what the order is right now, but yeah, I think well, he's going to go somewhere from five to. I think he's going to go somewhere from five to seven. You're not going to see them. Him drafted to the Raiders. And that's, I'm not, that right now. And that's um, not if one of those teams trades above the Steelers if Haskins, this does happen. Haskins would bring too much of a system change to the Steelers that Mike Tomlin won't want to do. He Haskins is a fantastic quarterback. Most like all of the Ohio State quarterbacks going into the NFL draft, they have all of the all of the yes on paper. We'll see if he can do it in the NFL. But anyway. Uh, Neil, is it right? Yes. Yeah. You say what you think the Steelers could do because you know the team better than I. Well, I don't claim to be an expert like you guys, 100%, because I'm not nearly <laughs> as versed in sports politics as the next guy. 
But personally, with my team, I would like to see, and I know I'm going to get flack for this because Parker and I have talked about this many times, I 100% believe we need to get a new quarterback. I think Ben needs to go. I agree. He's had his time to shine, and he's done extraordinarily well. I mean, this season even proved it. I mean, Parker, you could literally gloat about his stats right now if you want to as well. Well, the thing is with Big Ben, say what you will, but he did lead the league in passing this season. He did, but he gets injured all the time. He's a baby, and he always causes drama off the field. I think one of the biggest things the Steelers also need to do is work with Keith Butler to fix the defense. Uh, Well, I shouldn't say fix because it's the same thing – when you say fix the defense for the Steelers, it's the same effect you're going to get by telling a homeless person to get a job. <laughs> it's yeah. not going to work. It's so, not that simple. Right. So they need to experiment with a lot of different play styles, different players, etc. That is one of, I mean, in my opinion, that's how we should charm the Steelers. Yeah, the thing is that the Steelers, they have the talent on defense. Right. I mean, they just got... Uh, Oh, the Joe Hayden, like, yeah. two, like a season ago. Exactly. Like, and it's like they have the defensive line. They have the linebackers. What's going on? Coach, the What's going on here? Locker How room is this not issues. Good? Locker room issues. That's what it is. It happens in every sport. It happens in the NHL, NFL, college football even. You see it every single major sport that is relatively team-based. You're, if you have locker room issues, you're not going to succeed. Exactly. I 100% agree with you there. Walter, you as a Steelers fan, too, do you have anything you could add on this? I've said enough of, uh, enough about this locker room drama. We, 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 tried, we tried to limit him to like a few minutes per podcast. A few minutes per podcast? <laughs> <laughs> to prevent the Walter quotes. Yeah. <laughs> and his cues. They're gold. Uh, if I can jump off of uh, the NFL to uh, another topic I wanted to get to today. Another football? Uh, actually, football. Well, actually, before we get there, oh. I think we need a moment of reflection. So oh. um, I want everybody who's listening to uh, just pretend that there's some sad music playing. Let's talk about the big elephant in the room. On the world's smallest violin. Bevo versus UGA, the, the Bulldog. A moment of reflection. Who in the right mind thought that a one-foot-tall Bulldog would want to meet a steer? Oh, yeah. 100%. I, I don't get it. Who thought it was a good idea to allow a small little dog next to this humongous animal that can cause tremendous damage? No, <laughs> But it literally came barging in, too. I, I like, I, I, my favorite part of all this is the analysts, the people, the scientific analysts who decided to take it upon themselves to look into why the bull tried to attack the dog and said, oh, it's because he's wearing red. How about this? It's because that is a natural predator. Maybe that's part of the problem. <laughs> yes. Anyone who says that a bull or anything like that, because they said red, by the way, this is going to be a little off, is false. They just get agitated in general. Bulls are colorblind. They just don't like things near them. And that's science. <laughs> <laughs> a bull versus a bulldog. We can do it all on the show. With that whole issue. Go on. Just, just why? Why would you think it's a good idea? I don't understand it. Like, I guess they were trying like, to you go don't even see, gimmick. You don't even see mascots unless they get together and do a gimmick. Like, you don't see Big Al and the Tiger from Auburn getting together during the Iron Bowl and fighting each other. Like, why would you think that putting the two live animals next to each other is a good idea? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. What if, what if, uh, what if LSU and Georgia played and they did that with their oh, Tiger? <laughs> um, uh, it, it, would end, it would end worse than that. It would end up being shreds compared to just stampeding all over the place. <laughs> Let's not forget, like, I mean, I don't see Notre Dame trotting out a leprechaun, I'll be honest with you. We have our own mascot. He's a, he's a student that dresses up as a leprechaun. 
Well, yes, but let's be honest here. When you when you look at uh, Notre Dame's mascot, right, uh, the leprechaun, you're not going to put it up against the Clemson Tigers mascot or the Bulldogs or anything like that. I mean, it's a vicious animal. Either way, someone's going to get hurt. You, so, you, said, you said the Bulldog is a vicious animal. A bulldog can be. Okay. It can be. It can be. And not always. That, that was man, poor choice man, of words. Which the Florida Gators had an actual alligator. Be- before we get yeah, off the mascot, let me present to you the only mascot thing that would work. The Florida Gators versus the Roll Tide. Just think about it. An alligator in water. That is the only mascot battle that could work. <laughs> Alabama's mascot is an elephant called Big Al. Yeah. Don't, Don't forget about the Stanford trees. Stanford Cardinals. Stanford Cardinals. Not the Stanford, I'm sorry. The, uh, uh, their their, their logo st- is a tree. It's yeah. the Cardinals. It's the Stanford right, Cardinals. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, either way, the trees. Trees. So trees. With, with, <laughs> with, with that momentary reflection, we're going to take a moment and move to another kind of football. Football. And we're going to talk football. about. Um, Shout out to Hershey native Christian Pulisic, uh, who used to apparently play for Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga who are uh, definitely a top two or three team in the Bundesliga. And he'll be moving, uh, I believe it's next summer, to play for uh, Chelsea of the English Premier League. Uh, he's going over there for a grand total fee of, I believe it is 73 million USD and 64 million euros. So pretty big tra- uh, transfer there. And uh, quite honestly, I, I really wanted to uh, just talk about Christian Pulisic, Hershey native. Pennsylvania native, we're proud of you. You're doing Team USA proud and... Uh, Listen, I'm a Tottenham fan, but I could still cheer for Chelsea. Uh, another thing that we wanted to get to today, um, we're kind of getting close to the end of the show here, but we're going to wrap it up a little bit later. Uh, another major talking point is where in the world will Manny Machado and Bryce Harper sign? It is, Not the Yankees. It where is, in the world will, will these two players go to? Like, it is January 9th, okay? Manny, M- Manny, if you're listening, Manny, <laughs> please make a decision. Just, just, just make a decision. There's, you've got every reporter in the world saying, "Oh, he's going to go to Chicago to play in the South Side. He's going to go to the Philly. He's going to go to the Yankees. His wife likes New York. Oh, but they, but Chicago White Sox just traded for his his cousin and signed his best friend John Jay. Just pick a place. Come on, I'm begging you. Come to Tampa Bay. How about new? The Rays don't even <laughs> want to play in the Trop. Why would he want to play there? Oh, it's collapsing. Money. No, it's collapsing. It's money. Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah, you save a lot of money when you don't have to rebuild your stadium. <laughs> and as far as, but then, uh, but then you have to pay. But then you have to pay your patrons to actually walk in there. You have to pay your patrons to get a tetanus shot before you walk in that place. <laughs> Come on. And, and, <laughs> and as far as because Bryce no one goes. As far as Bryce Harper goes, we have. I mean, it, it's been radio silence at his end. Scott Boris apparently sent like some fifteen, like like fifteen thousand word or something like one hundred sixty page document to all the teams at the winter meetings. Bruh, just figure it out already. Just go somewhere. We, I, like, it's driving me nuts, and literally every fan just wants to know where you guys are going. That's all I'm asking. Just pick a team. Um, anyone else want to add anything? All I can say is for both Harper and Machado, it's not that hard. You're going to get money. Like, honestly, just pick somewhere. One of you goes to the Yankees. One of you goes somewhere else. Just neither of them are going something. to the Yankees. I'm telling you that right now. Yeah. Okay. Neither of them are going to the Yankees. Hot, hot take. Hot take. Bryce Harper what? to the Phillies. Machado to the uh, to the Cubs. Okay. Well, uh, I don't see that. No, I see to the Phillies. Yes, okay. not to the Cubs. Okay. The Cubs aren't going to put out that money. So, um, at with, least right now. With, with that said, we're going to skip on to our. Uh, I, I kind of missed this a little bit uh, before. I want to have some fun this podcast, so uh, we're going to discuss 
sort of an interesting topic. Which of these is the worst long soccer team name? I'm going to try not to butcher this. I'm sorry if you're a fan of either team. And if you're one of the three Scottish people listening to the show, I'm sorry for butchering your team. Um, I, I came across this on Google the other day. I was just having fun playing FIFA, and then my world got flipped upside down. So there are, um, it, you know, when you look a little bit deeper into soccer team names, as we talked about Borussia Dortmund with Christian Pulisic, the full name of Borussia Dortmund is uh, Bolsby Veren Borussia 09E.V.Dortmund. So, listen, that's a lot of letters and numbers. Why, 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 what's the E.V? I think they're sponsored by Evanek, the water company, but I'm not positive. Because I, I, I'm pretty I sure. I can fact check this. I'm not certain. There you go. Hey, while he's fact checking, the other team name, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but uh. it, it is uh, Club... Peldroid Lalonfer. Uh, they're they're a. Lalonfer Palagawan Gul Gagar Uchwind Ra Wulhan. Yeah, Earth Wind and Fire. Their abbreviated name is uh, CPD Lalonfer Puel FC. Uh, and that's not even how you pronounce it, but uh, I don't speak gibberish. You're so. not going to twist your tongue over there? In, in all fairness, that is a uh, Scottish city. I, I, I think it's like south of Aberdeen. Uh, they, they play in like the Scottish League One or something like that. It, it's a crazy long name. We're looking at the sheet. It's got to be at least 60 letters. I mean, like, listen, my vote's for the the third alphabet there. I, I don't know about <laughs> you guys, but... There's just a T all by itself. It's like, what? It, it is a little weird, isn't it? Yeah. I'd have to go for the Swede name. Like, can we can we put this into, into Google and just, like, have it say it just to see what happens? I, I, I don't know. Most it of us... Take, it'll take me 20 minutes to type it, we, We'd be probably breaking copyright infringement, so we probably can't do that, but... Mo- most probably. of us can pronounce German if, if we actually tried, but yeah, I don't think... It's not German. I don't... I, I, Fun fact, it's Scottish. No, no. If only no. I said that three <laughs> times. No, no, I'm talking about Dortmund. Uh, most yes. of us can pronounce Dortmund. German, but yeah, we can't pronounce Swedish. What was uh, it's Scottish. Scottish. Okay, yes, six <laughs> times this Scottish, what's the difference? By the gods. <laughs> Maybe at some point today we'll get something right. I'll learn to speak English sometime. Um, with that all said, I don't know, there's, there's a fact check coming up? There is. They are right. sponsored by Puma and Ivonic, which is a chemical hey. company. <laughs> so that's well, what the E.V right. is. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. so that, that, that would be what we were talking about. The, the one last major bit of news I wanted to get to today is, uh, I'm sure everybody here has seen that if you're a hockey fan, um, Sidney Crosby uh, played a game, I think it was against the Rangers, and uh, yes. apparently there was a guy sitting in like, one of the lower rows. I'm sorry if you can hear the drum corps that just started outside. <laughs> the drum corps. <laughs> um, uh, he played against the game, a game against the Rangers, and Heckler was at a ball game chirping him and saying, like, uh, <laughs> making shots about how Malkin's better and how he carries the team. And after the game, one of the PR staff for the Penguins uh, brought up a signed Crosby stick that said, nice trips out there, go easy on me next time, bud. Which I think is just great spirit, and it really shows the kind of personality Crosby has. But imagine just going there and absolutely frying him so bad that he has to get you to stop. <laughs> like, I can imagine how that fan, like, that fan reacted in one of two ways. He either felt really bad that he bashed Crosby or felt really good that he bashed Crosby afterwards. Because it's like, how good do you have to be at chirping someone in the penalty box that you get an autograph stick by the guy saying, go easy on me next time? Like, that's just unheard of. And kudos to Crosby for taking it like a champ. Like, that, <laughs> like you don't see that in your contract stipulations when you're going to sign like hey you have to deal with this idiot (laughs) (laughs) it it, it is pretty incredible um and and really so um the last thing we're going to talk about today um vladimir tarasenko underperforming not only by his standards but just by like any superstar standards 
He's getting paid, I think it's like 9.5. Tarasenko, there's a lot of trade rumors with him and Petrangelo. The Blues have obviously underachieved. When they went out and got Ryan O'Reilly this past summer, everybody thought the Blues were going to compete and be a playoff team like they always are. They haven't got goaltending, they haven't got defense, and now Tarasenko on the trade block. I don't know that you can tell me two years ago that uh, Tarasenko would be on the trade block, and I believe you. What do you guys think about Tarasenko? Maybe out the door. Yeah, I'm a little bit shocked, but I'm pretty shocked that the best player right now is the guy they just brought in. Ryan O'Reilly's been their best player. Yeah, I mean, that's for sure. <clears throat> I, I am completely shocked by this team in general. I, I'm, I'm not, I have no points with Tarasenko's performance because it, it takes a team as a whole, not just a player. But yet, going back to the last time we talked about this team, that whole entire team was basically put up for people to take grabs at. But yet, you can't just focus on one player's lack of performance, as I just said. When you so. build when you build a hockey team around one player, you're not going to succeed. Like <laughs> Connor McDavid. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> garbage look at, fire. Look at Edmonton. Uh, but with with St. Louis, with how much that they've dropped off compared to last season. Yeah, they missed the playoffs against because of that game 82 loss to Colorado. But the fact that Tarasenko has dropped off so much drastically, like right now he's played half the year and he's only at 12 goals when last year he had 33. Yeah, that's like if he finishes at 24, 25 goals, that's a reasonable drop off considering the past four seasons. He's been over 30 goals. He hit, he hit 40 in 2015, but it, like Wally, Walter said, yeah, it's fine. Uh, you don't build around one player, and it's not one player's fault that you're losing. And, yeah, Ryan O'Reilly is the best player on this team right now. And it's like there's such a drop-off between Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. It's like O'Reilly's at 40 points, Perron's sitting second on the team with 30. And then you're sitting with... Shen at 24 and Tarasenko at 24. Yeah, what about what about James Schwartz and uh, Steen? I mean, they're both solid players. I mean, well. Steen has been good like three years though. Honestly, borderline. This yeah, entire but he still put up 40, 50 points a season though. The only two players on this team that aren't underperforming, in my opinion, are O'Reilly and Perron. And it's even if you look at goaltending, why are they still starting Allen at this point in the season where he's at 14 wins, 14 losses, four overtime losses? Over three goals against average, lower than 900 save percentage. Like, he has 34 games played. Put someone else in. Like, seriously, try something. Like, I'm looking at. I think they might be still enamored with that playoff performance he had. Yeah, yeah, like I'm looking at because a like lot. remember he was like he was a young like like yeah right he was like a young goaltender and they were like oh he's developed well enough we're gonna start him now and I think like like not just this season but last season as well and even the season before that he just hasn't looked like an NFL like I, an NHL starter. I think that the biggest issue and it seems to be most prominent in the Central Division, you see, St. Louis, Chicago, and Colorado holding on to goalies that they thought would build their franchise up. You see Colorado with Semyon Varlamov, who plays decent but has such bad games and is so injury-prone. You have Chicago with... (coughs) Sorry about that. uh, With Corey Crawford. And you have St. Louis with Allen. It's... They're holding on to a goalie that they thought would build their franchise or built their franchise in Crawford's case. And... They need to start someone else. They need like pull someone up from the AHL. I understand that the Blues are in tank mode right now with how they've started this season. They're one of the bottom three teams in the NHL. They're probably just betting on a top five pick. They'll probably get it. But 
looking at that team, they need to try something else at goaltending for the future because you're not just going to get a, a good quarter, yeah, quarter goalie uh, in free agency like like Magic. They, I think, is an all-round issue that everyone's underperforming, and it's just leading to more issues. And the fact that the owner said everyone is up for grabs, that's pretty that's rough. rough. Like usually, yeah, even Pareko, everyone, the entire Ooh. the, the entire, entire team, St. Louis Blues team, the entire has team. been said to be on the trade block. So and who's their who's their head coach? Isn't it? Uh, oh, I can't remember his Yo name. Got fired. Yeah, I was I was gonna say um, Yo. I, I never liked him. He was very underperforming when he was even in Minnesota. At Pittsburgh, when he was the assistant. I want to take I want to take a look at a a former blue for a second. Paul Stasny. Paul Stasny played on that team until February of last season when he was traded to the Jets. He now currently plays for the Vegas, Vegas for the Knights. Vegas Golden Knights. Last year. Now, this is statistics that is combined with when he played in Winnipeg. His statistics ending of last season, he had 16 goals, 37 assists, and a total of 53 points. Paul Stasny, currently uh, near the midway point of this season playing with the Golden Knights, has 5 goals, 6 assists, and 11 points. But that's only in 16 games. Keep in mind. Okay, he was injured for most of that time. But when you take away players that were able to play on the first and second line and were able to produce as as often as he did with that team last season you're going to start to fail and you're going to start to crumble as the blues have shown us this year i think um uh one other random player that uh, it, just a kind of interesting fact before we get off of hockey uh the flyers as we talked about last episode when they started carter hart they became the i believe the first team since like the o2 blues to start um Six goalies prior to the Christmas break. Well, uh, I believe now it's prior to the All-Star break. They'll be the first team to start seven goalies. Mike McKenna uh, will be suiting up, I believe, tonight or yesterday, maybe. Uh, but McKenna. McKenna? I thought he was They got him off waivers. Oh, I was going to say, who's with the um, Sanders? There's actually a whole thing with his uh, wife on Twitter kind of getting like called out a little bit because she was like, I wouldn't think of playing. She just like made a post about how it was kind of hard on their family moving. And uh, I mean, obviously, that's obviously true. I just, I don't think, I think she got flack unfairly. I feel bad for her. Yeah, yeah that's, they, a, that's a side of hockey you don't really see like with the lower level players who are always like claimed off waivers yep. or like called up and then sent back down and then get claimed. Some of that because they have to go some cases across the country, oh, yeah. or in some like, cases across the border. Like, you got to take a look at with Matt Cullen with that fact, too. His family constantly moving back and forth as well. Yeah, so. uh, McKenna started yesterday uh, on January 8th, and, uh, the, and the Flyers lost 5-3 to three to Washington. Uh, he posted up a 8-3-3 save percentage, gave up four goals. Uh, they pulled – they had the net Third pulled for the last three – for the last three minutes of the game. This team itself is a circus. Uh, that team has a lot of issues, and I don't think that they're attacking it the right way. Um, they they just need to sit it out, honestly. They just need to wait it out and get it get it together. Because, like, honestly, figure Philly, it out. look at Philly's like team as a whole. They put up the points. They have the elements. They're just they're sitting in the last of the Metro. But their offense is producing consistently. You think and their defense and their goal, the goaltending, like you can't blame giving up five goals in a game all to the goalie. Granted, yes, when there's 24 shots, get a save. But at the same time, stop giving them two on ones, three on ones, three on twos. Like stop it on the rush. Like get it out of your zone. They can't be sitting there in the defensive zone for five minutes on end trying to get the puck. Like. Just so, like as easy it is to say, just to bash them, but get better. 
Do you think, should they just give a really long look at Carter Hart? Yeah, absolutely. Well, what do you have to lose at this point? He's not. He's, he's done developing the AHL. The AHL fandoms are terrible. It's, it's been the same thing, only not as good development. You might as well just keep him up. And you got to keep in mind, they also just brought up, uh, oh, God, I hope we're pronouncing his name right, Sondheim. Oh, Travis Sandheim? Yeah. And he's a really young defenseman, too. And yep. you got to remember, uh, Gosses Bear is still really young. And then there's this other defenseman, too, whose name I can't remember off the top of my head. Sandheim. Uh, Provorov? Even Provorov, who's very good. Sandheim, quick note about him. He played for uh, the uh, Calgary Hitmen in the uh, CHL. He was pretty highly touted, big physical defender, but he's got a knack for scoring. I really like Sandheim's game. With going back to the goaltending situation, I think that, yes, I understand where they're coming from. What the, we need to find out what works. But at the same time, stop playing goalie roulette and seeing what happens. You need to make a decision and start on one. Because as much as some people fail to realize is that the goaltending's playing style really affects the defense. Like When you have a goalie that's really good against the long shots then that's going to tell your defense, okay, we really need to defend against the point. Or if you have a goalie whose weak spot is the long shots, or who's, <clears throat> yeah, who's really good against the long shots, you're going to be defending more down low because they have that vision to really def- uh, stop the shots there. And goalies who are better at blocking the rush, it, it's not like your goalie, you're stopping the puck no matter where it's going. You have your weaknesses and you have your strong suits at goaltending, and that's really going to affect Philly's defense. And switching goalies, having seven of them play for you now at the NHL level, is not helping you when it comes to getting your defense in line. And that's why you have goalies putting up 833 save percentages in their first game in the NHL. Like, get consistency. And how you get consistency is just letting them play. I agree. Um, those are all some good points. Uh, we're going to wrap the show now. It's been kind of a, a long show, but we're, uh, we're very happy to have recorded these past two episodes. Uh, it's been a pretty great time. We're glad to get the show underway. Don't forget the uh, the official premiere will be right after the Super Bowl, um, uh, sometime in uh, early February. These two episodes will obviously be released. If you're hearing them, they've been released already. I don't have any exact dates, but we'll, we'll get them out there. Um, think of this kind of like a pre-show, if you will. Uh, so a couple more announcements. The Ducks on the Pond cast, as we're going to call it, the baseball episode, will be right around the same time Pitchers and Catchers report. That is uh, February 13th. Um, so right, right around that week, we'll have a baseball podcast. A bunch of the guys we have... Uh, related to the show, who like baseball will be on uh, talking about predictions for the season, hopefully knowing where Manny Bryce signed by then, and all that fun stuff. Uh, and then a couple more things. So we have also decided we're going to announce the, uh, the awards podcast show, all where it started back in my kitchen. <laughs> so uh, on, oh Ju- boy. <laughs> on June 21st, your, your boy's birthday, we're going to be recording a podcast uh, right before the, the award show. We might even uh, Facebook Live it so you guys can participate. So that should be a lot of fun. I don't know who we're going to have on yet. I assume some of the guys in this room. But, um, you know, maybe maybe even some special guests. Uh, and on top of that, the last thing is we're, we're working on a couple special shows. Like Obviously, you've just heard those. We've got a couple ones for when the energy playoffs end. We're going to have a trade deadline podcast. And we're going to have a summer podcast just on some things that are going on. Quick shout-out, um, we talked about the World Juniors men's. The World Juniors women's uh, USA team is playing right now. Good luck to them. And... Uh, the women always seem to do a better job of bringing home the gold, as you saw this past um, offseason Olympics. as well. Olympics. Yeah, for sure. So shout out to them. They're doing a real good job with the women's program. I forget who the coach was, but they're doing a spectacular job. Amanda Kessel and all those the women from USA are doing a great job of growing the game. Is there a relation to Phil Kessel? Yeah, yeah. it's a sister. Oh, cool. So yeah, great job for them. We'll be rooting for them to hopefully bring home gold in the World Juniors. A great new crop of players coming up. 
And uh, so that's the show for today. Anything else anybody want to add before I close it out? Uh, just mm-hmm. a quick question. Do you think that with how the women's game is growing that you'll see a women NHLer soon? So uh, oddly enough, the NHL just answered the question. They're not ready to quite divulge the women's yet. Um, they basically want to see the three women's leagues come together before they invest. I would love to see it. I personally root for the NWHL uh, Riveters out of New York. Uh, they're a great team. I, I honestly don't know the roster at the top of my head, but they've got a good roster. Women's game is definitely growing, and who knows, maybe one day. Um, I, I know that uh, it had just been released that I believe Tennessee just hired the first uh, women yeah. uh defensive or offensive coordinator i forget but great great job to the women like building their name in the sports and everything and it's fantastic to see and i believe that uh in other news in this draft class there was the first full ride uh sports scholarship given to a woman for football uh defensive back i i don't know what school she's going to but or if i misheard that incorrectly Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's fantastic. To and see. also this past weekend, we also had our first female NFL referee who uh, I believe she officiated the San Diego Chargers game against uh, when they played against Baltimore. So, uh, And she'll be refereeing this upcoming weekend as well. You'll love to see the games growing, and, uh, for sure, but it, especially hockey and soccer. The women's team has been great for God, at least a decade now, if not more. So, um, But, yeah, that's our show for today. Uh, we want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, we also want to thank uh, Ben and uh, Neil for quickly getting in there uh, and talking. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. It was a lot of fun for the short amount of time I was on. Yeah, so. we, we weren't really expecting guests, and, uh, but you know what? We were happy to have them. Uh, it definitely helped to kind of conjugate because I, I, I have zero intelligence when it comes to college football, so it kind of helped them. Boost. And it helped me get off the mic for a little bit. That, that's always a good thing. So, uh, <laughs> But uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, whenever you hear this, obviously check out the uh, SoundCloud. It'll be under the Daft, Daft Picks pod. Uh, on SoundCloud, on Twitter, it's the same name, and on Instagram, it's the same name. Once again, it's the Daft Picks Pod. Um, and once the SoundCloud gets up and running, and the Twitter is already there, you can go check for our individual ads. Uh, I am Chris, of course, we have Adam, Parker, uh, like I said, Neil and Ben, and Wally all here today. Uh, n- next episode, we're looking to have on our good friend Zach, friend of the show, Colin from Toronto. So without further ado, thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. That's a wrap. See you later.